If you have uh, your own Bibles uh, or a Bible app on your phone or you grab a pew Bible, I, I would encourage you to turn to Colossians chapter 3 since uh, that's what was read for us this morning and that's where we're going to be spending our time kind of walking through this passage. If you're picking up one of the pew Bibles, I can help you out. It is on page number 193 in the New Testament, right. which means towards the back of that book. Because I've discovered this over the years, our pew Bible does something fun. It starts renumbering the pages in the Old Testament and the New Testament. I'm not sure why they did that, but uh, it's not super helpful. But We started last week talking about um, how we treat one another. Um, in, in the body of Christ, uh, as you and I are striving and trying to uh, follow Jesus, trying to look more like Jesus, um, Paul suggests, uh, other writers in the New Testament, Jesus would suggest that those beliefs uh, should inform and influence our practice. They should uh, impact the way that we live our lives. And um, it seems like today there's all kinds of things trying to tell us how we should live and how we should react, and how we should treat one another. And so it uh, seems like maybe we need to go back and look at how Jesus, how um, Paul instructed the early church to uh, treat one another. And so this is the second of our two bearing sermons. Last week we talked about bearing one another's burdens, how we surround one another, how we um, lift one another up and, and help shoulder those burdens when someone's struggling uh, with all kinds of stuff, whether that's uh, just hard situations that they're going through, whether that's um, consequences of, of actions that they're having to deal with. How do we surround one another? How do we love one another? How do we help to bear those burdens? And so we talked a little bit about that last week. This morning is bearing with one another. We're going to get to, uh, next week is encourage one another. And um, the next week is going to be meet with one another, uh, which is kind of interesting, kind of coming out off the, the pandemic and everything. How do we continue to meet with one another? And then um, mark your calendars for October 2nd. We have an opportunity to practice all of this with one another. We'll be gathering downstairs in the fellowship hall in the chapel uh, for love feast and, and communion on a Sunday morning, and, and you're all invited, and we'll gather around the tables, uh, we'll break bread and drink the cup, and uh, we'll um, have stations for washing feet. Uh, you can, men can wash men's feet, women can wash women's feet. If you're sitting with your family, you're sitting with your spouse, and you want to wash their feet, there will be a station for that as well, hand, hand washing stations. And if the the washing thing just sounds very strange to you. Uh, maybe you're visiting. Maybe this is completely new to you. Just come. Just observe. And uh, we'd love to have you uh, join us around the tables on October 2nd. This morning, though, we will be looking at bearing with one another. And as we look at this passage from Colossians chapter 3, would you pray with me? Jesus, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing to you. I pray that you would speak to us as family this morning. 
through me, despite me, but always through your word. And we thank you and praise you for the ways that your spirit is moving in our midst. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Last week, our passage was from Galatians, and I shared a little bit of the kind of the background information about Galatia. A lot of that background information about Galatia, about the, the, the Jews and the Gentiles trying to figure out what does it mean for us to live life together, guess what? Same things happen in Colossae. In fact, same things happening in a number of cities. As, as Jewish folks uh, who have followed the Torah, who have you know, tried to live out all of the, the dietary restrictions and all the cleanliness codes, and, and that has become, uh, ha- had become a, a major part of their faith. Don't think that that was like side issue kind of stuff. This is a major part of their faith. All right? And now they're interacting with and, and living with and, and, and sharing in common and they're breaking bread and drinking wine with Gentile believers who'd come out of different pagan traditions um, and, and had no idea that you know, eating bacon was uh, a bad thing. Um, and now they're trying to follow Jesus together. Paul talks a little bit about this in Colossians 2 and addresses issues of uh, following pagan or Jewish mystical practices um, about this, this group that's been led to believe they all need to be following these dietary restrictions. Paul kind of lumps it together. He says, you know, you're having these arguments over do not handle this, do not taste that, do not touch that. Um, and, and these are kind of some of the conversations, the debates, the discussions that they were having in Colossae. And I was reflecting on these issues because, it, you know, like I said, it was, it was an issue in, in Galatia. This was an issue in Colossae. This was an issue in Rome. Um, Romans is largely addressing how these folks are going to live together. Uh, it becomes a major point of contention and debate and discussion in Jerusalem. Uh, this was a major topic for the early church. And so I was reflecting on some of these issues uh, this week. You know, I think it's easy for me to look at their issues as quarreling over simple things. You know, I think about, you know, how can we have that much debate over, like I said, bacon, shellfish, uh, and circumcision? How can we be dividing so much over these issues? But for the Jewish people, this was the law that had been handed down from Moses. This is in Scripture. They would, you know, they could go to page and verse and look up all of these dietary codes. And so when we are tempted in 2022 to look back and say, these were silly conversations, these were silly debates. No, man, these were, these were important. These were critical issues for some. In fact, for Paul, who says, you know, he was raised as Pharisee of Pharisees, this was once his job to enforce and make sure everybody else was living these codes. And now Paul, who had been Pharisee of Pharisees, is saying, you know what? Maybe these aren't the things that matter the most. And so it was a big deal. You know, in our own tradition, in the Church of the Brethren, at one point we call it the garb, what kind of clothing we wore, you know, plain, 
plain uh, jackets and plain pants and plain uh, shirts and you know, women in the plain clothing and with, the, with the, the covering on their head. That was the big deal. And, and why was it? Because we could all point to Scripture and verse that said so. At one point, Sunday school was the hot-button topic, which kind of sounds funny, you know, like some, some of us can't imagine church without Sunday school, but at one time, it was not so. It was a hot-button topic, and brethren had to determine whether they were going to go the way of the world, as they called it, or those churches, those churches are doing Sunday school, but we would never do Sunday school because we're holier than that, or whether we're going to keep uh, Christian discipleship in the home. And so this topic that Paul is addressing uh, would actually take a somewhat divisive church council to clear up some of these issues and to establish the church's thoughts on expectations of Gentile believers. You can read about this in Acts chapter 15. Read the discussion that they have with one another and read their statement at the end. I love their statement because in a day where we you know, make declarations and we make mandates, the, the, their, their issuance of their decision says, it seems good to us and the Spirit. It's, it's filled with humility. This is what we've talked about. This is what we've prayed about. It seems good at this point. It seems good to us in the Holy Spirit. Again, that's Acts uh, chapter 15. But here in Colossians chapter 3, we have Paul addressing some of these issues in, in verse 1. Paul writes, so if you have been raised with Christ, and he's talking about this new creation, that you and I are being formed into the image of Christ, that when we follow Jesus as Lord and Savior, King of our lives, that this is supposed to be uh, transforming us. We're supposed to be allowing the Holy Spirit to do something new in and through us, and not only in us personally, yes, us personally, but also in our relationships, in the way that we interact with one another, there is supposed to be something of this new creation as you and I are trying to follow Jesus together. As folks are starting to look at the church, they should see something different. As you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. I think that's uh, tough for me to think about, setting my mind on things above, not on things of the earth, because certainly everything that I think is certainly the mind and, and thoughts of God, right? Well, maybe not always so. He says, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. I think Paul's talking about focusing on the things that really matter. New life is being created in you and in your community of faith. It says, when Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. Then Paul, in, in these passages, in these verses, kind of gives two lists of vices, two lists of five vices. In uh, verse 5, he says, Put to death, therefore, whatever is in you, uh, whatever in you is earthly, names fornication, impurity, passion, evil, desire, and greed. And later in verse eight, uh, he says, "But now you must rid your uh, rid 
yourselves of all such things, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive language from your mouth. If Paul were writing today, I think he would probably include remove abusive language from your mouth and your social media posts and maybe stop ingesting it through constant news loops and echo chambers on television. I don't want to speak for Paul, but I think he might include it. And Paul takes these two lists of five vices, ways that are not life-giving, practices that are not really about the Spirit forming something new in us. These lists of vices are really about how do I seek my own welfare? How do I take care of myself and not worry about other folks? How do I... Uh, you know, worry about pleasing myself and not think about how my actions um, impact others. And are they life-giving or are they really death-seeking? He takes that and he contrasts that with a list of five virtues or fruits. Uh, I'm I'm looking down at uh, chapter 3, verse 12. Listen to what Paul writes. He says, as God's chosen ones. Don't skip over this. As God's chosen ones. Who's Paul writing to? He's writing to Jews and Gentiles. As God's chosen ones. The old covenant would say, only the Jewish people are the chosen ones. Something new is happening in this church. Something new is happening with the life, death, and the resurrection. Paul is calling all these folks, Jew, Gentile, circumcised, uncircumcised, he said, lumps in barbarians, Scythian. Uh, these are folks from outside of the Roman Empire, those that aren't civilized, according to the Roman Empire. They're being invited into this new people, into this new family, into this new way of being, into this new kingdom. And so, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. I'm 0 for 5, I think, on that list. I don't know. At least struggling with some of them. There's some crossover here with uh, the fruits of the Spirit out of Galatians 5 that we looked at last week. But this is about Christ forming something new in and through us that is Christ-centered, that is something different. And then to the heart of where I want to spend some time here in verse 13. Paul says this, Bear with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, that never happens in our lives. We never have a complaint against others. Forgive each other just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. I looked at my commentary. What is bear with one another? Give me the the Greek background of this. Commentator says... Bear with one another means to put up with one another. I got to say, as I sat and was uh, thinking about this passage, this is one of those passages where it's like, 
I understand what uh, is being said, and I have a lot of questions about how to do it. I have a lot of questions about what this means. What does it mean to put up with one another? What do we put up with? What actions, what theologies, what attitudes do we put up with? And again, don't jump over the debates that were happening in Paul's world. When they're talking about Jews and Gentiles, this is a big deal. It, it sounds strange to us. It's a different, different culture, different time. You and I aren't debating over Jew and Gentile relationships. But for them, this is huge. It's enormous. You can imagine what kinds of issues might equate to today. These were extremely debatable issues that were, for some, part of the bedrock of their faith. What might some of those debatable issues be for us? Let me tread lightly, but stomp on all of our toes. And let me preface it with this, that... Um, uh, a great pastor once said, I could be wrong. I've heard folks debate over, recently, college debt forgiveness. Oh, man, it was in the news this week. Of course, we prayed, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, and someone's debts are forgiven and we're not sure what to do. And even in this political act, so many of the underlying root issues aren't addressed. We have debates over exactly how to be pro-life. And in the church we struggle because we believe in the sanctity of life, that all are created in the image of God. But we also struggle with overreach of government and whether law, love and care for a child can be legislated and in the process we run the risk of dehumanizing folks who are struggling in the middle. We have questions over what it looks like to be a multi-ethnic big church and how we stand with folks who have been historically marginalized because of the color of their skin. And we don't know exactly how to wrap our mind around that. And yes, we debate issues over sexuality and gender issues. And again, risk alienating the very people who are caught in the middle, trying to figure out who they are and why they feel the way they do. And I know that some, uh, some of us want the pastor to stand up here and give you the answer so that you can make your decisions. And un I'll say, unfortunately, if that's what... Uh, we, we believe that we are called to seek the mind of Christ together, which is really hard. And it is something very much opposed to what's happening in the world around us where everybody makes their grand statements that doesn't really answer all the questions. It's tough for us to wrestle through these issues. It's tough to, for us to, to interact with people that have very different opinions. It's tough for us to know exactly how to wrap our arms of love around people who are wrestling. This is, these are not 
issues. These are lived experiences. And there's faces and there's names and there's situations behind the issues. Of course, I'll remind us of some of the debatable issues of years past that we spent a lot of time and energy debating in bygone times, maybe. Maybe some of these are still alive and well. We debated folks entering the military. We uh, debated divorce and remarriage. We've debated young people playing cards or croquet. We've debated the, the covering and the garb. We've debated the length of the beard and whether there should be a mustache or not. Debated really important issues, Ohio State, Penn State. We love and bear with the, the Michigan brother. And, uh, and I suppose we will continue with new topics until Jesus returns. And look, what I'm not saying is that these aren't important things for us to talk about. It's important for us to think about how does our faith practically influence our lives? What does it mean for us to be a countercultural people? What does it mean for us to be living in a new way? And this is, these are some of, some of the things where, you know, rubber meets the road. So I'm not saying that these aren't worth our time and our attention and our rigorous discussion with one another. But here's where Paul goes then. In verse 14, he says, Above all, clothe yourselves with love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called with, in the one body. In how many bodies? One body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. And with gratitude in your hearts, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do, Say whatever, whatever, not whatever. <laughs> yeah. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Above all, clothe yourselves with love. Let the peace of Christ rule as you are called in the one body. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, which doesn't mean slap Jesus' name on everything you do. That's not what it means. It means as we align ourselves with Jesus, as we align ourselves with the heart of Christ and with the kingdom of God, Do everything. It means to continually seek to align ourselves with who Jesus is. 
with the, was it patience, meekness, humility, kindness, compassion? Let me give you one example of maybe what this means for us. Within our district, within the collection of uh, Church of the Brethren congregations in our area, we have some debate over some of these issues, just a few of them. Within our district connections to the Church of the Brethren, we are seeking to bear with one another. Lately, we've made commitments to deal open and honestly about our differences, to commit to being brothers and sisters together, a commitment to working cooperatively with one another where we can. It's something that our district leadership has committed to. It's something that has been supported by the Spring Creek Church of the Brethren Board, that we have to Look at how we relate to one another, how we love one another. Yes, we have differences. Yes, we can debate those. Have conversation about them. But how do we love one another? How do we try and encourage one another to look more like Jesus? I was talking with someone this week about families having disagreements, uh, particularly on social issues. I don't know if that happens at your house. And this person said that they are able to have conversations about these topics and their feelings and their opinions. And I asked, how? How can you continue to talk about controversial topics and stay in pretty healthy relationship with one another. And they said, we've committed to being family and not letting the topics dictate the relationships. They've committed to being family and not let the issues dictate relationships. This is what is part of what it means, supposed to be what it means, to be church. Another friend puts it this way, I don't care what your pet issue is, I want to know what you are inviting people to, or what or whom are you pointing to a pet topic or cause, or inviting people to Jesus. I'm not suggesting that this is easy. Paul says, forgive one another. And I think, good grief. Indeed, this is part of why Paul has to address these issues in Galatia, Colossae, Rome, Jerusalem, and elsewhere. Because they were a big deal. They were hard conversations to have. People committed to Jesus on different sides of these issues. How do we follow Jesus together? How do we love one another when we don't see things all the same way? One of the interesting things that's happened, and, and I think it's just become more pronounced in the last couple of years, um, 
is the way that some of these debates rip the church apart. We've experienced it in, in our country. We've experienced it um, around us. We've experienced it in our denomination. We've experienced it within our own congregation. And one of the unfortunate things that's, that's happened in, in the church is um, rather than being countercultural and doing a new thing, we kind of look like everybody else and we're kind of doing the same old thing. And our society has become polarized and uh, loyalty to party has become the predominant force rather than loyalty to Jesus and the kingdom of God. And folks have started to identify themselves as primarily this party or primarily that party or primarily pro on this and anti on this and anti on this and pro on this. And, and we've allowed these things to become the ways that we predominantly identify ourselves. And Jesus does something that none of our politicians would do. He sits down to the table with folks who aren't like him. He sits down to the table with people that are called sinners and tax collectors, and he breaks bread and he eats with them. He comes and he washes their feet, those that are going to betray, those who are, have a, a different idea of what kingdom looks like. Jesus washes their feet. Jesus breaks bread and, and drinks wine with them. Paul calls us to clothe ourselves with Christ. Not once. You don't get up once and put clothes on and you never have to do it again. You put clothes on hopefully every day. Put on Christ day after day, week after week, year after year. Seek to look and act more and more like Jesus. Clothe yourselves with love, with compassion, with kindness, with humility, with meekness and patience. And bear with one another. Forgive one another. This morning we're going to respond by singing, um, ho hopefully we start to get this tuned down. It's in the blue hymnal, number 362, help us to help each other. And I'm going to invite you uh, to stand as we sing this song in response this morning.